Was there any part of you that thought at the beginning of the journey, I could win Mastership? I knew the whole time. I was, <laughs> nah, um, nah, like I, I remember there was one point, it was just before it started, I said, um, I, I literally said to myself, I was like, I'm going on this to win this. Then as soon as Bangers and Mash came out, I was like, just happy to be here. Just happy to be here. Like, you know, like I'll see how it goes. Um, yeah, so I never got carried away. And it's, it's hard to go through it all. So tried to enjoy it the best I can. It was a lot of stress, but there was no point of, yeah, I can do that. I've got this, I can do this. It was more about focusing on just doing the best I can on the day. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Breaking Bread, the Birmingham Food Podcast, presented by two food-obsessed mates, Liam and Carl. Sitting opposite me is the awesome Carl. How are you doing, mate? Oh, you missed handsome. Awesome, handsome Carl. There you go. Yeah. And I'm Liam, as always. Just Liam. Just Liam. Yeah. Relaxed, chilled. <laughs> Are you in your house for change? In, uh, in my house again. It's, uh, it's nice to change it up, but no jazz again. So if anyone's listening, they're going to be upset there's no jazz. Yeah, there's no dog barking in this one. I quite like it. I leave it in. I do like it. Adds to the atmosphere. People like jazz. Oh, here we go. This is jazz. Yeah, Another long episode. Another good one. But it's a banger, yeah. You know, I, mean, I say this every fucking podcast. Oh, this is a good episode. This is a good episode. People must be like, oh, you think every fucking episode's good? And it's good they fucking are, to be honest. But <laughs> This one's awesome. And if you miss all the stuff, you, some people do really enjoy the parts where we talk about where we've been and where we've been eating, places you should eat, places you should be excited about in Birmingham, and there's loads. If you miss that, it's all on the newsletter now. Every two weeks, this newsletter comes out with all of that jazz on it. Yeah, so go subscribe to our newsletter. The link to that is in this show notes. So just click on the show notes, click on the link, enter your email, get this awesome newsletter every two weeks. Join the Break and Break community. Help us spread the word about how amazing Birmingham is and its hospitality. Today's episode needs zero introduction, really, which is why we're flying which through this. Which is why we're doing an introduction. No, but, you know. <laughs> this is the intro. He's the man. Master Chef champion. Yeah, we got 2021. Seems like if you're from Birmingham, you win Master Chef, you automatically get to come on our podcast. Well, you know, <laughs> I wonder how many there's been over all the years, and then we've started a podcast, and we've had two. <laughs> yeah, both of them so down to earth, incredible, talented. His story, Dan's story, is unbelievable, mate. Going across the world. Oh, yeah, it sounds it's pretty awesome. sweet. Yeah, and he's come out of nowhere and just won Master Chef. Love it, mate. Doing a load of pop-ups. You've got to taste this food. Got to taste this food. We've yeah. got to taste this food. We've got to taste this food. Yeah, we'll get around to it. It's do, we, got, we know about a few bits that he's got coming up that will is definitely accessible for everyone. And we'll definitely get down there and try that. But just real pleasure to have Dan on the show. Yeah, really nice guy as well. Yeah. Really nice. Really nice guy. Hope you all enjoy this episode. If you do enjoy it, please leave us a review, a share, do anything just like like something on instagram just any little push helps push this episode a bit further which gets our little podcast that talks about how great birmingham is 
might get listened to by one more person and it gets one more person and it builds and builds and builds. And we're aiming just to tell as many people as possible how amazing Birmingham is. That's our aim. MasterChef champion, Dan. Dan, how are you doing, mate? Yeah, not not bad. Tired, tired. Cracking on with life. Uh, it's all changed a lot over the last two months. So yeah, yeah. Belly, that's hundred mile per hour by the looks of it. It is, yeah. Honestly, non-stop. But I can't complain. Like I can't complain. It's good fun. Does it seem real yet? That's a really cliche question, isn't it? Like, is it real? Everyone's saying it's like really surreal. Um, uh, it still hasn't really sank in in terms of what's going on. But I think that's as I said because I'm going like hundred miles per hour. Um, I'm enjoying it. Like obviously, life's changed a fair bit. Like I'm a lot busier than I was before. Um, but yeah, like I, I haven't had time to sit down and just like appreciate it, kind of thing. Yeah, have a proper thing. Yeah. I'd love someone to come in and go, "Yeah, of course, I fucking I definitely <laughs> deserve to win that shit." <laughs> <laughs> you never get me saying that. <laughs> Does your family keep you kind of grounded? No, not at all. They love yeah, it. They love they? it more than me. So obviously, when I get home, I'm just like, I just want to switch off. I want to chill. And they just got so many questions. Obviously, they're so excited for me. They're buzzing. <laughs> they're asking me like a million things. How's your day? What you got coming up? And I'm just like, oh, I just want to just hide. I just want to just chill for a minute. You haven't got an older brother. Nah, now I've got yeah. three sisters. So if you had another brother, they'd be putting you in your place. They'd yeah, like, that was it. <laughs> they'd come round here with this master chef for like it. Yeah, no, that's it. It shut me straight down. Now. I've got my older sister. Who, she, she's more happy than me than I would. Like She's yeah. constantly on it. But it's, it's nice to have the support, obviously. It's just, yeah, intense. Yeah. So you've kind of, wow. Well, yeah, to everyone, really. You've kind of come out of nowhere. You, like, it was like, all of a sudden... Oh, where does Dan work? We were like, no, when you first appeared on that first one, you'd, everyone's on Google trying to find out where you've been working around Brum and was he from Adams or Pinnells? And where did you start off then? Well, so everyone asked me that question. I said, like, it should come out of nowhere. I think it was just because <laughs> I wasn't really in the UK a lot. I uh, didn't do the usual traditional circuit, you know, Michelin stars, that, and everyone always goes through, like you say, Simpsons, Adams, Pernells, and I just mm. didn't. Like, I was a bit of a ski season bum for like five years, like worked in chalets, hotels, then uh work how is that that's not a thing a ski season bum yeah no, ski season bum how is that that's how michael Hare started or no he used to just go to the ski season and that's where he'd cook every year it doesn't sound much like a bum <laughs> life because you go if you do a ski season you go out you work for pennies literally pennies but you work for the experience you know someone will give you accommodation they give you ski pass ski hire and you just go cook there and that's it so i was just doing that for like five years back to back um winters there then the summers I'd be at places like I'd do Edgebass and Cricket Ground, do the cricket season mm-hmm. there. Basically, I'd graft agency work wherever I could work, save up money, go travel, do a ski season, just looped it, constantly did it. And that's how I learned. So uh, not the traditional restaurant method. I'd just, wherever I could go to cook and learn something new, that's what I'd do. And obviously ski seasons, because you're in a chalet by yourself, you develop a style. Obviously, mm-hmm. mine was a bit rustic around the edges, but you develop it from there. But uh, I started at UCB. So I went there for a couple of years, terrible attendance, like 40% <laughs> attendance, like I just wasn't there. Uh, learned a lot there. And then I did stage at Pernell's, that was like the first experience I had a Michelin star. And then as soon as I did that, I got a one-way flight to New Zealand and that was mm-hmm. me gone. Is that where you met Cray at um, Pernell's? No, no, I, I met Cray as soon as 670 Grams opened. Oh, I was right. like straight there as soon as it opened and like I started speaking to him. Like Obviously, I'd followed him before, obviously Michael O'Hare, man behind the curtain. Like mm-hmm. just I love his style of food, what he does. So yeah, and ever since then I've just I've been six seventy grams a fair few times, and then yeah, just spoke to him a lot. So yeah, he's a good guy, really good guy. Yeah, he is. Yeah, he's 
friend of the show. Yeah, yes. Two episodes. He'll probably get a third soon. <laughs> <laughs> so you whole grain, lads. Um, did you always know you were going to do cooking or was there any anything else in the pipeline? Or? No, I wanted to be what, an archaeologist when I was younger. You're then joking. Want, yeah, archaeologist. <laughs> then I wanted to be an architect. And uh, yeah, I just never got around to it. I fell into cooking when I was about 17. Obviously, family owned a takeaway when I was younger. So I grew up around that. That was it was good fun. Like, you know, but never thought like, oh, I want to cook. I want to do this. I want to do that. What I kind love... of food was that the takeaway? Was... Chinese, Cantonese, oh, yeah. like traditional Cantonese takeaway, just like you get anywhere else. Still Obviously... going? Or... Nah, nah. No. It, 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 yeah, closed down. The building's gone now and everything. Oh, yeah, yeah so it was my Where was it? Uh, Dudley. How was it? Yeah, Dudley? yeah, Dudley. Where? Oh, I wouldn't know it. Nah, that's it. Like, no, most Chinese takeaways found here. Yeah, nah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. All green, we got them all locked down. There's right? <laughs> a fair few in all green, to be yeah, fair. Yeah, there's loads. And there's ones that have been there for absolute years, yeah, though. Yeah. What's it? The Ruby's been the there. Ruby, for years. yeah. Everyone keeps talking. I've never been Ruby, you know. The Ruby's for I was like my drunken nights out. Like, obviously, <laughs> yeah. drunken round, like when I was like. 14, 15, walking around Hall Green, you walk past the Ruby <laughs> on the way home. Yeah, yeah. Once you tried Yowls, though, you don't really go to anyone else, do you? Yeah, Yowls is all right. It's just by the bridge as you yeah, go down, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's it's looks good, quite, it looks quite. It looks nice. I don't think I've actually ate there. No, nah, it's good, past it man. It's really times. good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like yeah, it's it. It's good. my go-to Chinese, that is. I'll have to check that out, then. I've always said one day I'd like to do like a YouTube channel or something where I'd just go around all the takeaways that have been there for years. Like, yeah. You know, them like just... Family run Chinese and stuff like that. Be wicked, like. But I've been massive when I like even bigger than I am. Even bigger than I already am. You just be huge, wouldn't you? Nah, it's a good life though. Short life, but a good life. <laughs> yeah, I don't have a smile on my face. It'd be hard. You won't be, be able to tell though. <laughs> <laughs> so when you say you fell into cooking, um, obviously the, the uh, family run business and stuff like that just helping out the weekend getting cooking in there or? Nah, it weren't even that so like that takeaway went when i was like still when i was quite young early mm. teenagers so going through like secondary school uh I, I just went off the rails a bit like proper like just basically a little shit like i was just <laughs> running around the street getting brought home by police constantly just all over the place went to sixth form was doing like german business geography ancient history lasted about three months at Solly or sixth form it just weren't for me like the whole school going through that then spent the next six months signed on for a bit I was working at supermarket again for a bit like waitrose just just running around being an absolute nightmare and then I had to go for like a careers advisor like what do you want to do what do you like to do and I'm just like oh I don't know I'm just a moody teenager (laughs) um I was like I was like what did you do the weekend I was like oh I'll cook something oh do you like to cook I was like no not really and then uh, they're like I want you go to like UCB had an open day they're like I want you go try the open day I was like like, a couple of weeks later I went to this open day I made three pasta dishes like one with creme fraiche, one with a tomato sauce, one with a cream based sauce. Like literally after that opened, I was like, yeah, I'm going here. I'm going to do this. And that was it. It kind of clicked. Started at UCB in that September. It was like 2009. Um, and yeah, just really enjoyed it, but figured quickly. I didn't like the theory side, sitting down in classrooms, yeah, yeah, stuff yeah. like that. So that's when I was a bit like, oh, it's not for me. So I basically just started going to restaurants, knocking on doors. Like that's how I ended up at Purnell's. Well, it was actually my mum phoned up Purnell's for my, <laughs> for my 18th birthday present. Go, you know, go do a, go do a shift. Yeah. Uh, that was it and then yeah i was like piccolinos places like that shogun uh teppanyaki just work wherever i could and i just enjoyed that more and i said i finished my two years at ucb i was meant to do a third but i just booked a one-way flight to new zealand and then that was it like i've always wanted to travel and like, i figured qu- pretty quickly like everyone needs to eat wherever you go in the world so uh, if i can cook 
everyone will eat so like i can travel wherever i want and that's how i just use that to travel and you figure that out on your own or did someone like tell you that at college you know if you get 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 your head down get a qualification you can get cooking anyway no one said that to me at college i remember when i went into this open night because i did all right at school like you know i had decent gcse's and stuff like that uh, and then I remember it was, I'm not going to say his name actually. Uh, there was a chef at the college because he's still there. Um, he basically, I gave him uh, my GCSE results and he was like, because what for my course you needed four Ds at GCSE in anything, which I thought was pretty pointless if it's food anyway, like, because I didn't even do food at school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and they were like, are you sure you want to do this? Like you could go, you know, go back to sixth form and do that. I was like, nah, I don't want it. I don't like it. I wanted to come here. So they almost kicked me out then. And then just constantly, I said my attendance was bad, like just didn't really enjoy the whole class environment. So, uh, but the practical side I loved, like there were certain teachers there, lecturers there that I really got on well with and they kind of drove me to it. But in terms of traveling and stuff, it was walking around UCB one day um, when I was there, a rarity. And then uh, there was a post on the wall, would you like to go work in Australia? I was like, yep, yeah, let's go. Applied for that. Then they got back to me, they're like, ah, oh, um, it's actually easier to get a job in New Zealand at the moment because 2011 Rugby World Cup's coming up. I was like, yep, yeah, I'll go there. I hadn't even <laughs> looked at New Zealand before. I was like, yeah, I'll do it. And that was it. Just, yeah, got that all sorted and then got a one-way flight to New Zealand. That was hard. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Yeah. I don't know if it's any different now, but surely that's something you should be like saying to young chefs. Like, listen, kid, do you want to travel the world? Because this, this will do it for you. Like, we were saying in our episode with Stuart Collins there a few weeks ago, like, I don't feel like, people talk about the positives like this enough of the industry like you know <clears throat> there's not many industries where you could start off with granted you're good grades but you could start off with not very great yeah, grades so you, don't need, you, didn't and you can end up anything. traveling the world yeah. and then one day have your own business you know it's just something that annoys me a little bit that we don't talk about the good things like that enough you I know i think it definitely should be focused on more mm -hmm. i said like no one ever said to me oh you can use cooking to travel i kind of just figured it out myself um but in terms of yeah, telling young chefs, every, like I said, I didn't really, I'd never had an original plan when I became a chef. I just knew I wanted to do it and enjoyed it. And I figured out I could travel from that. But a lot of chefs that are coming through now, they have that direction. Like I want a Michelin star. I want this. I want that. So they go down the classic route. You know, it's a low paying job. They'll go to Michelin star restaurants. They'll graft, graft. Like it's such hard work. It's long hours. Mm -hmm. and they put through it. And that's just the general trend of it. But I think, you notice a lot more now, especially because I did so many ski seasons, people are going off like they're taking that time abroad. And I remember reading about, um, it was Ramsey. I can't remember where he said it, but he said like, you all got a bit too much for him at one point. So he went and did a season on a yacht and that was it. Like he stepped away from it and you can escape it. I think people just need to be a bit more aware. And I said like, I'm going to UCB a fair bit. Maybe I should like, cause it's not everyone's dream to travel. People don't want to travel. I just do. Yeah. And I think as a chef, especially nowadays because it's just all the cultures all the cuisines are crossing over like chefs need to work abroad and you don't need money to do it that's the thing like i, oh. did, I, I didn't come from money at all like working class completely and you don't because i see restaurants like really good restaurants like noma central in peru like i've looked at doing star jazz there you can't do it unless you come from money you've got to take three to six months off work you've got to work for free so you need to come from money to do that and yeah. that kind the idea of doing that like puts me off completely Whereas if you go do a ski season, you go work in like a really nice chalet, a villa, yeah, you've got to get the opportunity, but it's all paid for. Like, like that's how you use your cooking to travel. And then obviously you work your way through it. You meet people, you work in nice villas, you work in nice chalets, you meet people, you build a reputation that way. So it's definitely a way to go. Um, but it's, it depends what people want from it all. Like I wanted to travel. That's why I so, like, went looking for it. Whereas some people, they just want to stay here, 
work their way up, which is nothing wrong with that. Like you're producing some incredible chefs in this country. Yeah. So I think yeah, it's just what you want from it. Like I said I like to travel. Like I, I, anywhere I will go, try everything. No, no worries. I've, sl- I've slept on beaches. I've slept on the side of the road. Like yeah, <laughs> don't mind. So I was gonna say when. Like you said you just got one way to get to New Zealand. Yeah. What did you do when you got off the plane? Were you just like, oh shit, what am I fucking doing there? Yeah, so <laughs> I, ne- I nearly came home straight away. Yeah. yeah, I had one night booked in a hostel. Got to the hostel because uh, I, I landed about six a.m. Got to my hostel about eight a.m. Looked round. I was like, obviously, I just turned nineteen. Like never been away by myself before. I'm literally the furthest point I could get away, and I was like, what do I do now? And I was like, I can't stay in this hostel. So I went and found an apartment that day. Like it's cracked in, absolute cracked in. Like it, it was. <laughs> It was bad, but I had a job lined up. So I went and met them. So I was like, spoke to them, got a job. Then, yeah, the first month and a half was horrible. Trying to start this new job, adapt, trying to find another apartment. So I wasn't in a crack then. And then it was just, it came together eventually, but I, I wanted to bail. It was it was yeah. hard. It was hard. I, I wanted to bail. First month, I was ready to just fly what is, straight back. What is it that made you stick with it? Did you get these little moments when you travel? Like it's just, it's New Zealand's stunning. Like it's, it's like I was in Auckland. There's like 52 volcanoes in Auckland. Um, yeah, just started walking around, enjoying it. Obviously, I get to know people at work, and then after a month, they were like, "We've got a spare spot in our apartment. Do you want to come? Do you want to take the room?" I was, like, jumped at it straight away. I was like, "Yeah, I'll take that room." And then obviously, once you settle in, make a group of friends. Like absolutely fine. So it was all right after that. Uh, but the first part was hard, and then. I just took that on board everywhere I've travelled since. I was like, I'm not going to like it when I get there, or I might not. There's always a possibility, but it'll get better. And you realise, like, wherever you go, you're always going to meet chefs who are interested in the same things as you, people who are interested in the same things as you, and you will always find a connection. Like, anywhere I've been in the world, you will always meet decent people. So you you figure that out eventually, but obviously the first time, especially when you buy yourself, you've got no one there, it's like, ah, what do I do? Like, where do I go? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that'd be pretty daunting for me. I'd be like, oh, fuck this. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's that's the feeling you get straight away. Yeah, but then it's just about convincing yourself, like, now get through this part. Like, you, it works out in the end. It always has done. Touch wood. <laughs> <laughs> so where did you go after New Zealand? Where did you go after New Zealand? I came back to the UK. I started at the farm in Solihull. Uh, yeah, Monk's no, path. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah I started yeah, working yeah, there a lot. <laughs> yeah, no, that's it. Like, I worked there for actually on and off for years. So I came back. I started there for a couple of weeks. Then I literally got a phone call from uh the company i was about to do a winter season with uh and they were like oh it's the end of the summer season with chef short do you want to come out i was like yeah go and so i flew out to sardinia and i did the rest of the summer season there came back to the farm for like a month or two then went on my first what was my first winter season in la plan in france after the plan came back went on a cruise ship uh that was horrible never ever really ever again, so i've spent a couple of people worked on cruise ship and they loved it really yeah, yeah. So not that... in the cooking they're in the entertainment bit. yeah okay yeah chefs on the cruise ship no not a chance nah. never again wouldn't they ask me to go back wouldn't wouldn't dream of it like yachts are a bit different but cruise ships uh yeah you're pushing on actual slave labor it's horrible yeah yeah six month contract no days off um i don't mind speaking bad about them because they they're horrible yeah. six months on no days off um yeah, it's just, it's brutal. You yeah. stay in a cabin, you share a cabin, smaller than this room, which is obviously quite small. Uh, share it with one person, no windows, like you, you're working there. 12 hours a day, which obviously you can get do more hours a day, but if you're no days off for six months, it's intense. Yeah. The yeah. pay well? Nah. Fuck. It, it's no ta- have that sort of <laughs> nah, it's, it's no tax. And it, the dream, obviously I was quite young still, so it's the dream, I no tax, everything's paid for. So you're like, ah, oh, dreaming. And you can't spend money, so you do save because you can't physically spend. You've got no time. 
but then if you work out how much you're working per hour and everything, you're like, it's not worth it. Like, yeah. no, nah, it's really not worth it. And it, the difficult thing for me was, uh, you're talking about 112 chefs on the cruise ship. Uh, there was two British chefs on alongside me. So one of them was like senior Sue. He left after a month and there was another commie, same position as me, who left after about a month and a half. After that, I was the only British person left. Because it's all international waters, there's people from all over the world working on there. They realise quite quickly that with a British passport, you get paid more than them. Yeah. It's just how it works. Which obviously, it's really unfair. But that's the industry. It's just, that's how, that on cruise ships, that's, that's just how it works. And then people will start, slowly start to turn against you, resent you for certain reasons. Yeah. It's not a set rate then either. It's just like, I you think get paid for, from where you're from. The same yeah, level, it's, it's, it sounds horrible. And I said, like, I'd never normally speak out about it, but no, it's, it's, it's wrong. It's just wrong. But yeah. then a lot of the people I spoke to, so I'm not going to say any particular countries or uh, where they're from, but it, it they for them it was a job. They they had a job security, and so it, that's their balance. So like, yes, I make this much, I send this much home, and that's it. And like, I made some great friends on that cruise ship. I really did. Like, but uh, a couple I've been out to see, travelled, gone and see, like really good friends. But it was hard, and I said like I'd never put myself back to it. But on the other hand, the people I met in the entertainments, the shops that best time they loved it yeah. absolutely loved i was gonna it. say that's why my cousin liked it so. yeah, yeah yeah absolutely <laughs> loved it but i said like i'm going back about 10 years now yeah it might have changed a fair bit since then but i would never go back on them no no not a chance did you learn anything did you take can you take any positive from the experience or oh. other than the friends like oh it's everywhere you go i take like if even it's a bad place to work you've always got to learn something you've got to take something away from it even if it's not how to do things and I learned huge numbers, how to turn out in huge numbers, like uh, that you're talking like 1600, like consistency going through that. But the food on the cruise ship, I'd never, like in terms of like what they cooked, I'd never do it again. It's basically like they rolled a turd in glitter, to, to be honest. Like it's, <laughs> it's not the best food, but it's made to look really nice. Like I'll never forget the cheese because it's fixed recipes. You've got no room for creativity on a cruise ship. It's, it's how they work. They're fixed. And I remember the cheesecake. It was me and uh, this Scottish lad when he was on it, the original um, uh, British guy. Uh, we had the cheesecake because he was on pastry and he just threw one at me. Literally just bounced off the wall, <laughs> bounced down. Like they had that much gelatin in it to set it. Like they were just bounce around. <laughs> the reason you can't change it because that is fixed. That's how they do it. Yeah. It's just certain things like that. So you learn. I suppose it's for profits though, isn't it? So they can work out cost of it. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, it. Yeah. It's just consistency. And it's a machine. It's an absolute machine. Like, that sounds like weather spins. <laughs> yeah. no, it's insane. So like certain bits on the cruise ships are good. And I said, like, I'm going back 10 years. It might have changed a hell of a lot since then. But I learned how to do big numbers. Um, how to cope with certain situations um and that was it i just wouldn't go back like i'm glad i did it because i said you learn something everywhere you go but yeah i couldn't do it again must be quite hard as well because you're stopping off on all these countries and you can't even go to them like someone who loves traveling but this is it so th that's how they sell you the dream like yeah. you're going around you're traveling but you get um you got a two hour break a day so if you're close to if the port's close to the city or something you get two hours you run off the boat run around and once a month you get a they call it your day off, but it wasn't. You get a seven-hour break instead of a two-hour break. Fuck. And that's it. So you can get out and see bits then. But obviously, occasionally, if you fall in a place where uh, the ship can't dock quite close or something, you're spending like an hour, two hours getting there and back. I remember the only one I did was Rome. So Rome, it was my day off, if you will, seven hours. But I said to them, look, I'll come in early so I can get a longer time. So I, like, I started at like 2 a.m., Finished about four, six, went out in Rome for the day, came back to work after. I did Rome in a day, it was quality, but like again, Rome. Yeah, and yeah. there's no time to recover after that because obviously you don't get a day off, it's just constant. Ah. Yeah, it's a bit of a, yeah, it's, it's a machine. Like it is an absolute machine. I'd like to go back on a cruise ship as a 
guest yeah. <laughs> just to see how it, cause it like yeah like it looks incredible you walk around the guest area it's like what like is the whole hotel floating but yeah there's a lot a lot of stuff i don't agree with about how to work ethic yeah but I, I, that's everywhere like it happens they're big companies they need to survive they need to make money yeah. they need to keep it running is how it works have you done the yachts then as well nah i've been no. like, i've been tempted a lot not now i was tempted when i was younger i was like yeah i do yachts like it's good fun it's not good fun from what i've heard but it's like again it's what i see shallows as you're by yourself or you're with a small team you get a chance to develop your style you've got no budget a lot of the time so you can really push it and like some some yacht chefs turn out some amazing food but my worry is if i went to yachts when i was young i'd stay on it the money's appealing like you know it's a lifestyle um but if you get stuck as a yacht chef you'll be a very very good yacht chef and that's about it. Like I know, I know chefs that have gone on. You take them out, you put them in a restaurant. They come in quite cocky, quite full of themselves because you know they, they work for some good people and they turn out some good food. You put in a bigger volume, it's just the skills aren't always transferable. But yeah, like I've got a lot of mates who work on yachts and they say they're incredible chefs. But for me, if I did it, I probably would have just lived that lifestyle because that is the you earn money, you travel. And like that's, I'd just get in the loop of it. Like I'd be doing it. Until <laughs> it I was like sounds 16. like something you would have gone into early on. Yeah, but I'm glad I didn't because I said like you get stuck into that and like you get you get comfortable. And as much as you can travel, you can still learn like on your time off and stuff. Like I, I like learning off of the chefs a bit more. I like bouncing around the kitchen. Like even though I do a lot of private work at the moment, I like the environment of being with other chefs and bouncing off them, sharing ideas. Like that's what I enjoy. I'm very much a people person. Like, mm. That's hence with traveling as well. Like I just like bits like that. <laughs> Might be being daft here, but when you say yachts, is it like just one family who owns a yacht and they get a private chef in, or? Oh, it's mixed. So you normally get contracts. So uh, you get charter yachts where like there'll be an owner, so you'll have owners weeks, and then you could work like a season. So it's like four, five, six months. You could do the season on the yacht, and then different guests come in and out, or you could just be, it could be a private yacht. So you just work with the families on oh, it. It just depends. Yeah. Like yeah, I've got a few friends who get like a twelve month contract, so it's two months on, two months off, two months off. You get paid for the full twelve months, like monthly. So somebody could own the yacht and say hire the yacht and the chef for a certain amount of time. Yeah, yes. Yeah. So, so you could hire. That's it. You, normally, when like it's a chartered yacht, you'll hire the whole yacht and then you get the all staff, food, everything included. Um, um, but I, I know again, like you, when you're talking about yachts, one one guy I know who works on a yacht. His owner owns three yachts. And one of them had been docked in Barcelona for like a year, two years. Staff still rotates on it, but it's just docked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's not a bad life, that isn't it? <laughs> oh, man. Especially Barcelona, it's cracking. Yeah, yeah, there you go. So you go on, you work two months. You, if you're a chef, you cook for the crew. That's it. Leave. <laughs> just constantly do that. Yeah. What kind of food were you doing when you were like at lodges and stuff? Was it oh, in the chalets? So it was yeah. a mix. So like. When I first started doing ski seasons, I worked for some companies where they give you a fixed menu. You change it a bit, like, because basically there was, there was always this thing, like, you have to hit budget to get your bonus. This was a lot with the hotels as well. But their menu's designed so you can never hit budget. That is quite smart how they did it. So you just start changing the menu. You do bits like that. So, and it's, it's, it's nothing exciting. It's the standard stuff. When I went to chalets, you start speaking to guests and you say, like, what kind of... Um, what kind of food you want and that's when i started developing my own style picking bits i want you still do your nights like fondue raclette nights stuff like that but then i started just yeah started playing around and cooking food i liked and that's what i still like to think i do now like everyone says i oh, watch your style fusion this that like i don't like the term fusion uh i just cook food i like to eat that's yeah. it that's literally all it comes down to not style or anything like that just food i like to eat yeah, fusion's like uh 90s like 2000s kind of thing isn't it where you went on holiday and it was like I don't, there was mad ones like 
I went to a Chinese Indian place. Once. Oh, Chindians. Yeah, yeah and Chindians. <laughs> I literally say that because there's a restaurant called the Chindian, yeah, a place I worked in Greece. Yeah, that's it. Like, it's, it's, fusion, that's just, just forcing to, that's just looking for yeah, profit, that yeah, is. like, yeah. um, Fusion food nowadays, it's just, it's a term thrown around too much. Like, mm. yeah, people, like, they use a bit of soy, a bit of ginger in another dish, and it's all of a sudden a fusion dish, like stuff like that, or a fusion restaurant. They're just, you got to be really careful when, terms fusion and fusion food like especially in terms of like cul- cultural appropriation with food and stuff mm. people becoming a lot more aware of that that's why i don't really like to use the term like i said like i've just cooked food i like to eat and i'm basically a fusion person like i'm english irish chinese so i get away with it <laughs> but yeah, it's, like, yeah, it's yeah. one of those like i just cook food that i've grew up around same with the word authentic as well. You hear authentic, but what's really authentic? You know that's, what I mean? Yeah, it's, it's a hard. Thing <laughs> How to far back do you want to go? Like, <laughs> it's difficult. Like I said, if we're touching on fusion food now, look at like, especially like in cultural appropriation with food stuff like that. Uh, you know, pho, like pho or pho, 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 like yeah. the Vietnamese noodle soup. Like, there was a little article about that, about someone putting a burger. I think McDonald's even put into a burger. Then the argument was uh, from a uh, bit of the Vietnamese community was that it can't be a burger; it's a noodle soup. <laughs> like it's a new how can you put that as a burger it's a soup dish it's a beef you know beef noodles stuff like that so then the argument the guy's argument was yeah but i've used the same flavors but they're like it still doesn't make sense like how can you put that as a but it's a soup so the, then it's the wording that comes to like it's not a fur burger it's like a fur flavored burger you touch on stuff like that but then if you're talking about fusion food you look a bit further back to fur like it's, it originated in north vietnam but obviously a huge french influence and it's part of fur they say like it's quite influenced from that. Obviously, like uh, French broth dish with vegetables and stuff like that. So you can you're talking about fusion going back years. Yeah, and years. it's just shit that's always happened yeah. over time. Anyway. Yeah, that's it. Like Nikkei cuisine. So like Nobu, what that all got big off it. It's Japanese Peruvian. You're talking about like, over hundred years ago, Japanese went over to Peru and then like, you started introducing stuff like ceviche and stuff like that. That's that's fusion food in theory. And you're going back over a hundred years. It's nothing new, but that was more of a natural development instead of what's happening now is where people are just like. Oh, I like this, I like this, let's just put it together without any history or research in how you develop it as a dish. And that's why I'm really careful what I touch on. Like, yeah, in terms of trying to put stuff together. Because I, I know Cantonese food to an extent, like I said, just because I grew up around it. But like uh, Thai food, I went to Thailand, I learned. Like, but certain other foods I know bits of and I, I'm really careful not to mess around too much. Because you want to show respect for, obviously, all these cultures, where the dishes come from. So if I'm ever going to start putting dishes together i basically will research the whole history of a dish where it came from how it originated why it originated then you build from there and sometimes it's a really simple story like um sambal stingray which is a big dish in singapore at the hawker centers i looked into the history of like why why did it start why was the sambal put on a stingray and apparently um that's a few of my singaporean friends did a bit of research and it was basically because when the fish started to go it started to turn off sambal's intense covers up the smell covers up the taste oh, right. that's like that's how they say it started like just random bits like that so you could look at that and like okay like stingrays nice texture and stuff anyway but you build from that so it's like okay it's not purposely put together for one reason it was literally because it started to go but it works so you can probably develop that a bit further but yeah touchy subject i think that's you probably hit it there on the, on the head it's uh it's going back doing a bit of research being careful you know um whereas a big a big corporation coming along and saying 
uh, I don't know, geez, I'm going to butcher something there. But like you said with the faux burger. Oh, well, faux sounds well. Yeah. But then burgers sell. Well, let's just whack them together. Whack them together yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we can make loads of money. <laughs> exactly. And it can be done. Like, it can be done. Of course, it can be done. People, as I said, we go back years. Like, people have put this stuff together. But as I said, it's just a bit more being careful with what you do and how you do it. And there's nothing wrong with it. Like, respect. All, yeah. Like, yeah, that's it. It's yeah. just showing respect from where it's from. And let's look. You look at the world now. Like everyone's here, there, and everywhere. It's not like you know. This is one place. This is one place. You have different cultures everywhere. So it's gonna happen. It should happen. Like it's how you move forward with food, um, and like to see all these chefs trying different things and like pushing forward with that. It should be done. But I said like just make sure you show the respect to like where mm. it came from. Like, and I think that's really important. Yeah, we're talking like we're in Birmingham. Yeah, this <laughs> like, is like, yeah, that's yeah. It, like one of the most diverse places <laughs> ever. And, like, and that's it. Like it's just bang at the moment it's going it's going off like so you said and it all come together and it will work it's, it's just it's just a respect thing like making sure like you understand where it's coming from like the worst thing like i see a lot of people doing is uh go go to a cooking school like a cooking course like a day or two days long in thailand which is great like learn it understand the food but they'll come back and they're suddenly they're an expert in thai food and they're like people have said it to me they've tried to correct me on this and that and that's just like, that's, i get it i'm always open to learn and understand but when like, I, like i've done these cooking classes as well like i did one in indonesia it was great in introduction I, I see them always an introduction into the flavors and techniques but then when i was in thailand i worked at a place called nam which was like it's it was the first thai restaurant to get a michelin star really good uh restaurant uh david thompson was the exec chef and prin pulsup was the head chef like he's an incredible chef mm. and you learn like thai food is not like red green curries like it's not just pad thais there's so much more like the green curry they had on at nam was it was from chomburi so it's broken down into regions and it was there's no coconut in it it was um it was dry splash of water it was a dry curry but you'd never associate that with a green curry but that's what they were trying to teach me they were like it's not green curry there's curries from different regions like and obviously you will get the coconutty ones with a creamy sauce through but it's broken down completely it's not just that and like the chilies the, the heat out there is too much for me like the, the, the <laughs> amount of spice they actually use and that restaurant's quite interesting there was a pork dish a stir fry dish they had on it had uh, 32 different chilies in it for one person so if you wow. did a double portion 64 chilies and this is all like pestle and mortar by hand and we're doing 120 covers one star service it was hard yeah, everything's yeah. pestle and mortar like, i loved it because it's so like it's it, you're really in the moment soon as them chilies hit the pan everyone's in the coffin in the kitchen because it's that intense <laughs> and then if because i asked it as i was like i can have one less spicy and they're like no nah. they're like this is how it is this is the that's what they want to showcase like this is how it should be served but if you don't want that we'll just recommend something else yeah, yeah and like yeah. i really appreciate that that like, i get it like you, you they want to showcase what it is actually about um obviously but then if i brought it back there here that pork dish i wouldn't do that many chilies and then it's not as authentic yeah, it's but it's what that. i've learned i've developed and you go from there but like i can't take 32 chilies and like a little is bit it really out that dish oh yeah nah blow you like painful I, yeah yeah like it's painful for days like, <laughs> like it's bad it's bad but like it's delicious but it's difficult to appreciate the flavor unless you can take that kind of heat yeah but yeah nah, i love thailand absolutely love that place like it's just yeah something else like because obviously i base a lot of my stuff around street food like people argue that's the home of street food everyone has street food spots around the world like they love and like it's all started from somewhere but like thailand for me like really stands out of like a nailed street food yeah i was gonna say in master chef the street food round you absolutely nailed that one you like, uh, look like you were like proper in your element with that one i, loved, like, it, I loved it yeah because like master chef it's a weird one because obviously most people go for it is the fine dining route they're beautiful dishes like really dainty i love it it's like a piece of art on the plate 
not really my style. It's not what I go down. Like, I love it. I've done Michelin style. I've done it all. But I just like big flavors, punch, and it's street food. Like I love that kind of element. I I never forget there was a chef on um, one of the contestants on there, and he came up to me after, and he was like, he said like as soon as they announced what it was, they were like, he he came up to me like you know you've got this. He's like this is your element. <laughs> but obviously you can't get carried away on a show like that. But like I really enjoyed that round. They made me look really stressed, like which annoyed me because yeah. I looked really stressed and sweaty <laughs> all the time. But it was only because I was like I was in front of a pizza oven for a bit. Like, then I was pouring sweat. It's like 350 degrees right in front of it. <laughs> yeah. And the bits they showed was just me running back and forth from that. So it just looks like I'm having a ba- bit of a breakdown because I'm so sweaty, but it's not. I love that round. I really enjoyed it. That was a round where we watched it. And if you think, I think he might win. <laughs> I think uh, he could win this. <laughs> watching it for you, like I, I, like, I enjoyed that round more than anything. I think the whole experience was quite difficult for me. And obviously, the beginning of the competition, it was just up and down for me. Like, I struggled to find consistency. I think it was more the struggle of showcasing that style of food and the fact they gave me a round like that that i was like i'm gonna go with this and uh, obviously i got really good feedback i was like i can go with this because i was quite hesitant to do it before mm. i wanted to try to play around with certain things too much you know to try and match it to what i say was what i originally thought the show was about uh, i tried to match my style to that too much and then when it became evident like, i didn't need to do that just cook what i enjoy um that's when i started to grow into it a bit more I feel like I don't know if it's edited or or just the naturally way it goes. But even with Stew, it feels like the winner always kind of they're never like the best from the beginning. There's like a journey they go on yeah, yeah, to be yeah. caught, and then by the end, it's pretty clear they're the best in the room. Like I, I would still never say. I'd I know you I won't say. Yeah, I'd never say I was the, <laughs> like, best in the room at any point in that competition because I say it's all different chefs. Like, how can you ever say, "Oh, you're the best chef"? People have strengths in different. But areas. did it? But did it feel like a journey to you? Like that you felt like you improved gradually every episode. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a journey, nightmare, whatever you want to call it. Like, it's one of those. <laughs> but look, at the beginning, it was just stress got to me. It was up and down. I said I had some nightmares at the beginning, and then it got to the point. Like, I got to a point. I was like, I've made it this far. Like I'm just going to enjoy it. I'm going to try and do what I do. And you, it, that's where your confidence builds. Like when you get certain comments that it will knock you down because I said they're never harsh to you. Like they're, they're completely honest. They're completely professional with the judges. They're like absolutely brilliant about it, but you've got to take it on board. Mm-hmm. And it, it was, it was trying to process that realizing like, you know, messed up here, messed up there. And then you grow, you develop. And like I, did, I said, like, I know it's said for like, oh, it's for a show. Like you go on this journey and stuff like that. But you genuinely do. You go through a lot throughout that show. It's quite intense. You go through it all. And yeah, like I definitely grew in confidence and my, like in what I wanted to cook and how I was cooking. Like, yeah, never again, but like I love the experience. Uh, <laughs> I was never do shit like that again, but no, nah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ne- <laughs> yeah. Never walking back into that kitchen again. Like, never. But like I'm so glad I did it. Like it like, it was incredible, like the whole thing. I just couldn't imagine the uh, the classics test thing at the beginning, the very first thing that you do. It's oh, like yeah, I couldn't imagine test. anything as scary as a skills test. And I and, mm. <laughs> I could see you here squirming because yeah. yours was <laughs> not not great to watch, man. <laughs> 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 right, my skills test. <laughs> the thing with that is, obviously, you find out you're going on the show, and you're like a couple of weeks, maybe a month before, you're like, okay, this is going to be your date kind of thing. Like, so you, you prepare yourself the best you can. Um, yeah, I was just going through like Larue. I was classics, classics, this, classics that. Watching previous skills tests, like just, just drilling myself as much as I can. Getting my mates, uh, well, my mate, my cousin, because he knew I was going on it because he was helping me out getting him to uh, just it's like just send me different things, like just tell me to make it, tell me to make it. And I was just practicing all these classics. And got to the day, obviously, 
you fall into peace then it's all new to you like it's excitement it's nerves it's all hitting you and you walk through and like you just like Marcus just staring back at me like okay here we go this <laughs> this is it like you see you're just there look around they're like oh why don't you do uh what's it uh sausage mash and an onion gravy just throw through me completely i was so ready for like i said i was ready i was never ready at any point i was just ready for like you know some classical french dessert or something yeah. like that or something i'd never heard of in such a match and i was like i know what this is but i just started to like what's going on like you said like 20 minutes off you go and then everyone knocked me first straining the onions out the gravy i will i'm i still stand by this that i did not remember them saying onion gravy yeah, yeah. Like, my mind went blank. Uh, my sausages burst. Like I managed to make mash, which was all right. It's just intense, and like you know, like I've, that is that's a baptism of fire, isn't it? They just throw you straight in at the deep end, and like, like every, I struggled in a lot of rounds, but that round was that. You, it, it's really like you're here now. Like here you go, off you go. I remember just sitting, like finished it, plated up, and I, I remember I t- said something like, "It looks like a sad school dinner," because it really did. It was, it was, it was. Um, but like, no, I got it through. It was edible, which was always a bonus. Like, it could have gone a lot worse. But I said, yeah, like, yeah, sausage yeah. and mash. It was like one of those. And then um, who was it? Dario and uh, Lauren after me. They were on my episode. They got the monkfish and pea and bacon ragu. Mm-hmm. Everyone said to me, "I was like, oh, you got the easy one. You got mo- uh, sausage and mash." I was like, "No, nah, monkfish. I can just it's." blindfolded they, but they know obviously yeah, they, yeah, that yeah. was it so monkfish I, I could have just yeah because literally on my the next round the signature round I did a monkfish <laughs> uh, so they knew that um, it, it, I just yeah what can I do such a mash there's no shame at like that you see and because we're kind of involved in the industry a little bit with what we do with the podcast and that you know that every chef we talk to they can do all of them tests like in the comfort of their own kitchen but as soon as they're in front of Monica or um Marcus, they just melt for some reason. You're like, man, that must be some pressure if if these like real talented chefs are just falling into pieces. And That's it. It's like pressure you're not used to. Because I say in the industry, like we do, you thrive on pressure. Arguably, you know, you go for it, you use it to go, but it's just a slightly different type of pressure. Mm. Um, I feel like sausage and mash. It's like. Where's the trick? Am I missing something? Yeah, yeah, like, that's it, yeah. <laughs> should yeah. I be making the sausage like venison? Or should, I'm sure I should, should be doing something. It just throws you off, and you're like, okay. <laughs> so then you miss the obvious points. It's like, yeah, uh, exactly. I think it's like a proper the, the certain kind of like mind tricks that you know, when you look at the painting and like you miss the obvious thing in the painting, and it was designed so that you did miss the obvious thing. Yeah, I feel like that's what the sausage and mash was. <laughs> it was. I said like it threw me off like. Yeah, like I remember, I don't like when we watched the uh, what was it? Was it the night of the final? I think it's the night of the final, like lunchtime. My dad made me sausage and mash. Like, <laughs> you prick, you absolute prick. Like, <laughs> <laughs> he's there with a bag of smash and like um, hot water, just taking a piss. Fucking smile, I lived off that shit as a kid, man. Oh, so like corn beef smash. smash yeah, that's right. Smash smashed with red sauce, yeah, smashed yeah. into it, so it went all pink. Proper food, that was it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, you said um. One set of your grandparents Chinese, one set uh, English Irish. Yeah, English Irish. Like, so, so you were doing it, like fusion years ago. <laughs> but was, yeah, it's one of those. Like, I always remember, like I said, like the big thing was uh, on a Sunday we go around to the Chinese Safeway because it's closed on a Sunday. We all eat round uh, in the kitchen table, mm. and like my auntie would do certain things for my mum because my mum obviously she's she's more of a like Western palate in terms of especially Chinese food. Like she'd be wanting like chicken green peppers and black bean sauce if we had the chicken it was always like the breast meat you wouldn't eat thigh like so like that's where i kind of understood 
the difference in palettes. Like, because mm. I said, like, um, I, I technically I have a Western palette, a UK palette. Certain things I'll go over to like Hong Kong and I'll try, and it's a bit different for me. You know, it's wrapping my head around it, and that's where I think I have a big benefit. I understand a bit more like the palettes, but again, it's all to do with what people like. Food's very opinionated. Like some people like certain things, some people don't. But yeah, that I I, I learned a lot from that. That is, it seems random, but obviously I just pull it back in memories because at the time you just you know you just notice these things happening. But obviously I started implementing it into, especially when I prepare dishes. Like if I'm preparing a dish um, in the UK, it's going to taste slightly different to if I did it, uh, say like for my auntie, so more like a, a traditional Cantonese palate. So it's just finding the balance of what certain people like and what people don't. But I, I like it as well. It's just learning at the same time. It's just constantly learning, and yeah. I've had some nightmare dishes, but it happens. <laughs> cool. What made you go on MasterChef? Oh, hangover. Yeah, no. <laughs> it was, um, no, I remember like I had some friends, uh, one my Hannah, she was pushing me for y- years. Like, she, oh, just go on, just go on. She watched, uh, it was Stu's um, one um, and uh, Liv Burt was on it, Olivia Burton. And my friend Hannah was obsessed with her and, like um she was like oh she's so good like uh you should go that you always want like, you're, you're not as good as live stuff like that i, I don't take it at the time because um i'd not really watched much master chef before so i was just like oh yeah okay and then it got to the point like i literally went on a weekend in london uh came back on the monday I was a little bit hungover you know just scrolling through uh instagram and i think the ad popped up apply and i literally i just went for it i just applied for it and that was it i did say to her i did say to her i was like i'm gonna prove to you i'm better than live but that was the worst thing i ever said because literally as soon as it started going on, i was like should not have said that i'm gonna crumble to pieces i'm about to fall apart but and like, after i applied it was december 12th i applied i didn't hear anything for months kind of like forgot i applied um didn't hear anything uh, and then one day i got the phone call and that was it uh, the process starts yeah <laughs> that sounds it seems a while ago now but it wasn't even like yeah <laughs> it's hard, time concepts gone because of uh covid and everything that's it yeah it's just so we missed months when, when did everything were you living in the uk at the time or were you back here yeah i was back in the uk by this point so what brought you back here just so i so I was working in Singapore. Um, I worked at two restaurants. I originally went out there to work for a place called Origin Shangri-La Hotel. Uh, we opened that. It was like a open fire grill restaurant, like whole concept farm to table. Really cool, like best beefs like I've ever worked with. Like, and I learned so much about beef wagyu's, like picking it apart, stuff like that. That was really cool. Um, then after there, I basically figured I did everything I could there. Like, like uh, my head chef was still there because I was senior Sue. My head chef, she wasn't moving anywhere. I needed so I wanted something else. I wanted a different project. There was talks about me taking a different restaurant at Shangri-La, but then uh, these guys opened a place called Table 65 uh, in Singapore, which is on Sentosa Island. And they're like, "Look, we're opening this year. We're going for the star this year. Like, we need like no questions asked. We're going for it. Would you like to come on?" So they asked me, "Sue Chef." I was like, "Yeah, I'll go for that." And then we managed to get the star after nine months. We hit. We got it in September. Yeah, we opened it like uh, New Year's, and then we got star in September. Then after that, I was like. I've got nothing else to give in Singapore. Like, that's it. It's ready to, t- like, two years, just over two years, ready to go home. So I said I moved back home. And then uh, first private chef job came up straight away. I went out to Switzerland, worked for a family there who I worked for last year as well. I'm going to go work for them this year. Like, I'm really well with them. They've actually been really supportive of everything. Like, really, really good family. Yeah. Uh, so I moved back after that. And then COVID hit. That was it. COVID came down after I came back from there. And then there was talks about me going back out to Singapore to open a restaurant there. Like, um, but then again, that fell through because COVID just carried on. 
as we all know. And then, yeah, ended up working in a supermarket, going through lockdown. Like, it was an interesting time. Interesting. I feel like there's a lot to unpick there, but I've, heard, yeah, I've so read... I I've ramble, read. Mate, I no, no, it's so good. Much. This is great, mate. This is brilliant. I've read a few things. I feel like um, Singapore was a special place for you. Oh, it was. Like, it was just completely... As I said, like, I was work, where was I working? I was, just before Singapore, I was in Thailand. That's what I was learning a bit more about Thai food, street food, like diving into that a bit more. Then I got a job offer whilst I was in, just finished in Thailand, was on holiday in Myanmar. And then I got a phone call, like, come to Singapore for a trial. I was like, oh, can I come at the end of my holiday? Like, I'm no, like, you come now or you don't come at all. So I flew out to Singapore. It all just hit me like a ton of bricks. Like, flew out to Singapore. That I got like a nine hour overnight bus across Myanmar to get to the airport. Got on the airplane got to Singapore, got picked up and I got dropped at Shangri-La. So obviously I've been backpacking, like I'm just a state at the moment. I get dropped off in the Shangri-La hotel, like the flagship in Singapore, like beautiful five-star, just rock up, like really scruffy. And they gave me the works, like they put me in a suite, like I was like, wow. And then next day they were like, right, go in that kitchen, just cook us three dishes. I was like, okay, yeah. And then so just pulled out whatever I could, um, cooked three dishes. They offered me the job on the day, then I flew back out. And Do you I remember was, any of those three dishes? Yeah, it was the... Uh, it was a salmon kinilao, which is a Filipino ceviche. I did that on MasterChef. I did a pork, like a pork and apple dish, pork loin, apple puree, and something else. And the final one was, it might have been the soy cured beef, also off MasterChef, mm. I think. I'm trying to, like, they're, they're, they look, you're talking about early stages when I was just learning to do them. But yeah, they offered me the job on a day. I flew back out the next day, uh, back to meet my mates who would now in back in Bangkok ready to fly home because I'd basically missed my holiday (laughs) it it worked out in like two three weeks later I sit pack bags moved to Singapore and then when I got there yeah just it's just an amazing city like um it's just it's completely different obviously I'm so used to being in the UK like it's, it's weird being mixed race in the UK because like especially like the background I'm from like every white British person sees me as Chinese and then that's I grew up as being the Chinese when I moved to Singapore, which was like a really obviously a huge Chinese community there. Everyone just saw me as white British. It was really so yeah. just like, oh, where do I fit in? Like, but then you just find out, like I said, you, wherever you go, you find out the people you get on with. That's it. You kind of get a bit settled. And then the food just started like Singapore. Like you always know it's like this. It's almost like a futuristic city. It's clean. It's efficient. Like it's an incredible city. And then I knew about the starred restaurants, like have Michelin stars here, there, everywhere. Like, but what, like, I, I don't think it's known enough about the hawker centers, like the local food. Mm. And it started to make sense when I was looking for an apartment to live in. Nowhere had a kitchen. You'd be looking to have a microwave, or if you wanted a room in an apartment, they were like, kitchen's not allowed to be used. And I was like, how do people eat here? <laughs> like, what what goes on? And then it becomes quite clear that hawker center culture, like hawker centers, basically the street food markets, the local food markets. Uh, that's what everyone eats, and it's not about you know like unhealthy it's not like it's fast food it's nothing like that. it's everything whatever you can think of they have it in a hawker center it's all traditional it's like chicken rice laksa you've got like influencer european influences you've got like indonesian like there's little stores doing everything and it's incredible because like two three four five dollars a dish so like two three four pound a dish like there's a big thing going on in singapore at the moment that like you can't sustain it rising food costs x y and z that's what you eat so like on the way home like the hawker center is everywhere you just go get a meal and like you know you're not breaking the bank and everyone can eat like there's no homelessness in singapore like it's just it's efficiency it works well obviously on a smaller scale compared to the uk but like you could i'd like to implement something like that in the uk 
because I said like it's just it's not unhealthy food like it's just really good food such variety such affordable prices and that's how everyone's eating it's literally a part of the culture there and it's incredible food you know you're talking about people who have done a couple of dishes their whole lives you're talking about perfection on these dishes it's not like someone's just decided oh I like this I'm going to open it it's like you're going back like like generations that this is what they cook and but that's also a problem with the hawk centers in Singapore see the younger generation don't really want to go into it as much. So the older generation, like, you know, you're losing a lot of hawk centers, like these really good places. But like, I just, that concept of like any time of day, 24 hours a day, like you go there, you go to hawk center, grab some food. I'm walking down. Oh, I just fancy a couple of dumplings or something. Just go sit down, have a beer, some dumplings. And, or you finish work on after a night, like what do you want to do? We'll go like a Newton food center. That's quite a touristy one, but it's still like you go there. There's one East Coast Park, like the one there. You, you go after work, like a group of you. Just get some satays, you know, some wings, some skewers, some beers. Like the, maybe there's some music playing. Sometimes there's not. It's just, a, it's just, a, it's like a community mm. center, but it's just food based. Everything's based around food. It's not expensive. You're not you know, spending an arm and a leg, and it's just a really, really nice environment. It's just there's nothing like it in the UK. There's nothing or like most places I've been to be honest. Like a proper community little hub just based around food. I said like. You want some satays? Go get some satays there. The chances are it'll be banging because these guys have been doing it for 20 years and know exactly yeah. what they're doing. You go, oh, someone wants some chicken rice. That's fine. Oh, someone just wants a bit of dessert. You get some sweet things from there. You're talking about like 50 stalls. Some have more. Like it's just insane. And just get what you want. And like it's just it's just good. It's cheap. It's good. It's affordable. And that's what everyone eats there. Like it's just brilliant. I can't big it up enough. Like that whole culture. <laughs> like, I really can't. Like I just think it's what every country needs. Wonder why we haven't got more of them. I think it's because our hubs were like the pubs, traditional pubs. I suppose more of a drinking, food, gastro oh, we, pub, and everything seems. Yeah. yeah, we're pretty good at it. Like. I feel yeah, like yeah, yeah. food's only just come in the last kind of twenty years or so, and it's like the gastro pub. It's not that affordable if it's really good. Chains have kind of bastardized a lot of it. It is, yeah. Chains have bastardized a lot, but like. I'll big up KFC right now because I love KFC. Yeah, but I mean, like, yeah, also yeah. chain pubs. Chain you know, pubs yeah, oh, it. my mate's going to kill me for this because <laughs> he, he runs a, a chain pub, but he normally runs pretty good ones. But I just feel like they set the bar pretty low for, like, you get a lot of people saying, if you, I bet if someone tries to do something good but quite affordable, oh, yeah. It's good, mate, but I could get to Everspoons and get a burger for a fiver. You know, that's the point. You know what I mean? It's, it's the cultural sake, thing man. that's it. Now. Mm. And yeah, it's, it's standing. So, Hawker Centre is very much part of Singaporean culture. Like, it's, it, 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 I'm pretty sure you, UNESCO, I can never say it. The World Heritage, like, it's, yeah, it's yeah, all yeah, under yeah. it. Like, that's it's part of the culture. Like, it's ingrained into it. Whereas you said, in this country, we don't have that ingrained into the culture. We've got some, but it could be now, like, Moving forward, it could be. I said the issue is we're going down chain pubs, and you can't knock chain pubs because they're cheap and affordable. But that shouldn't be the only option. Like, mm. they, there's no reason that should be the option. Yeah, like they're chain pubs, they're big business. They'll wipe out whatever they can. Like they, you know, those they're just charging through. They will. But there's no reason that should be the only option. There has to be. But you need to do a hawker centre because the government in Singapore help out the hawker centre. You need the government to basically say, and like, not that they would because. You're talking about saying people that voted against like free school meals for kids and stuff like that, but we're not we're <laughs> yeah, not going to dive into yeah, that. Yeah. But like that's how you incorporate into it because like I said, like people like people are struggling at the moment. Like you don't want people going hungry, especially you talk yeah. about UK Britain like that. Like meant to be a powerhouse, like you don't want people going hungry. It's just bad. But then like, this culture could be introduced, and it's just it's how it would be done. Like I've thought about a few ways of like doing it, but I said like I'm just like one bloke, like trying to get someone to back mm. it, to invest it, to go for it. I said it can be cheap like I 
Okay, chicken rice. I, I served it in the final of MasterChef. Obviously, I did a completely turned up version. But if you look at chicken rice, I can go to Birmingham Indoor Market. I can get uh, 40 chicken uh, 40 chicken thighs for £22. Um, rice on top of that, a couple of pandan leaves, garlic, ginger. You, you talk enough in water for a broth, water to cook the rice. Uh, chili sauce. Okay, that's probably the most expensive part, building up the chili sauce. My cost price is less than £2 for a portion. You can serve that for £5. There's nothing wrong with that. You could probably even go cheaper if you did it on a bigger scale. Like It can be done. Mm. Like it, it can be done. Like you can you can serve meals here, like good meals, like poached chicken, rice, broth, everything. It's a full meal. Like You can charge it for five or less if you've got the right setup, the right environment to do it in. Obviously, if you start serving it in a fancy restaurant or something like that, the price goes up because rental costs go up. That has an effect. But if you basically ripped everything down to its core and put something like a hawker centre in place... There's no reason you couldn't do that. It is an option. And if you've got a couple of them, I'm using chicken rice as one example. I did like a, like my turnip cake. I did that on MasterChef as a low back go, like traditional dim sum dish. It's cheap to make. It's rice flour, corn flour, turnips, like whatever you want to put in it, water. Like there's ways around it. And it's not unhealthy. It's healthy food still. Mm. You're not giving someone, like I said, like something like a certain chain per burger, whatever, like it's just rubbish. So it can be done. It's just who wants to get involved and make it happen? Like you did, you move it forward to culture especially talking like Birmingham, UK as a whole, like people are open to a lot more, like trying new, new things. Like it's there, the opportunity there. People are willing to try it. And they said, it doesn't have to be like Asian food. You just break, break down British dishes. Like, you, like it can be done. Like it's definitely doable. I feel like the problem, the first hurdle you'll face with everything is the first person you speak to about it will say, well, how much profit's in it? How That's much it. money's yeah. in it for us? Mm. Yeah. And then you know, when you say, well, I'm not that keen on the profit side of things, but I'd like I've got a real cause here. I've got a belief I want to implement. Oh yeah, good for you, mate. But how much money am I making? That's yeah, it. That's yeah. the yeah. first. Really about it. It's a shame. Man. It's a sad reality, but I see, like it always comes down to business at the end of the day. And I said like they're touching it a lot in Singapore at the moment. Like mm. basically, the in Singapore, um, they it, the Hawks centers they need to increase the prices because food costs are going up. That's just, just how it works. Food costs are going up all around the world, but if Singaporean hawkers centers, they if they increase their prices, they'll always be the worry that we'll lose customers because someone else is doing chicken rice down the road, someone else is doing Nazi Lamak down the road for a cheaper price. So if we increase ours, so that's where it's really difficult balance out there. And you d- hawker centers don't make a lot of money mm. at all. Like you work hard, you do six days a week, you're prepping, you do it, and you do not earn a lot of money from doing it. No. So my idea, well, I don't know if I want to share it too much, um, <laughs> you, you, you start pulling young keen chefs a lot of people are interested in it you, you basically you if you take a chef straight out of college and you say look i'm going to give you your own stall you're going to perfect these one two dishes like that is yours that is yours understand how to manage it understand how to own it because a lot of chefs come out of college they're cocky they think they are a chef already i was like you're only just beginning like like mm. there's so much for you to learn so if you took these like young students and everything and you give them some responsibility like perfect this dish run it understand the business side of it, understand the clean down. Cause that's one thing like UCB college of food, they don't teach how to clean down. Clean down is a big, important part of any practical, <laughs> but it's never even like really shown like sweep a floor, mop a floor, like it's stuff you need to learn. Like <laughs> uh, it seems pretty basic, but yeah. So you give them a little thing to basically run control, understand the industry a bit more. Okay. You bored of that dish. Okay. Go into another store. You swap with someone else. You learn. And then by the end of it, you've learned 40 dishes all to perfection you've learned how to run like a small business and you can go off from there. And obviously you're straight out of college. You don't need to pay them like 
a huge head chef's wage because it's basically like almost like an apprenticeship scheme. You're building them through it. And that's how you, you keep the running costs low. Um, and instead, it's, you're not looking for fancy tables or anything like that. You're literally talking about just tables laid out, good to go. Uh, a central pot wash area. So every plate's the same. It all goes around. So that's how I saw it working in Singapore. But I said the only difference I'd swap out who, who's working for you. Like, how does it work? Yeah. So it, Sounds a bit like, have you been Asia, Asia, the food hall? No, I was about to go in today, but I went to Chung Ying yeah. instead. <laughs> oh, man, it's pretty, oh, Chung Ying's good though. I think, from what I believe, I don't like know too much about the business side of things, yeah. but from what I've heard is each um, outlet is like their own business. They're all business owners. Yeah. So they get to do their own thing, cook their own food, cook, uh, keep their own profits. How expensive is it? I can't remember to tell you the truth, but it's is it like. affordable for everyone? There's going to be something that's affordable for everyone. Yeah, you know, there's, you there's yeah. different entry levels, yeah. you know, like um, there's probably sushi that's going to cost a fair few quid because that's the nature that's of sushi. But then uh, when I went, there was um, there was a dude, he was doing spicy noodles, like yeah. hand pulling the thick, really oh, yeah, thick yeah. noodles. That wasn't expensive at all, like, you know, and there's a good mix we got street food and I don't want to hate on our street food because I love Dig Buff Dines and all that but it's not affordable it's not affordable okay, this <laughs> but I understand why I do understand yeah. why because we've obviously spoke we're good friends with Andy Lowe and Slow and yeah. I understand he goes and meets his farmer you know it's like he, he meets the, the cows he meets the shit you know yeah. so he knows it from source I understand why he charges more but but I also want, I don't understand why there isn't something more like what you were talking about that's more affordable. Well, more so, did you ever walk, work in a hockey yard while you were over there? No, 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 no. No, you didn't? No, literally just um, hotels. Was, yeah, Shangri-La Hotel and Table 65. Just. Well, I suppose most of it's like families that have done it for years. Like you just That's said, it, yeah. yeah. You said like yeah. The, but there's a few young ones coming in there doing like burgers and stuff like that now. So it's quite interesting to watch how that developed in the side of it as well. But like, Age Rage, I need to go check that out. It sounds like decent. Like, my, my sister said it a few things. It's just writing. It gives a, it's an option, especially for people. It's difficult to like to open a restaurant now, the amount of money it costs and stuff. And there's so many chefs, like talented chefs, like people ready to go, but it's just fine investment and stuff. Mm. And yeah, like I said, like street, there is no street food culture in, it's growing, but like around there's not. So I'd say like, you said Digbeth Dining Club, but it's not a street food place. It's an international food place inspired by street food. Yeah. But that's just word and like, I think it's great what they're doing like it's incredible but yeah, they broke through because you got to remember in, especially in Birmingham might have been different in London but before Digbeth Dining street food was they clapped that old burger van at the side yeah. of the lay-by like, like that was how street they changed food. the whole concept and yeah. that, that it was, it's brilliant like how they did it and what they've done with it like and like so many people have come out of it like, like personal opinion I don't associate it with street food because street food to me is literally food for the people. You, it's off the street. Anyone can go up. Anyone can afford it. That's why I'm mm. big on the hawker centre and stuff. It's not expensive. You're not going to be priced out. You'd never pay entrance. So Yawacha Road in Thailand, which is known as like the home of street food, the origin of street food, like some people refer to of that. You're not going to pay to go down that road. You go, you get a cheap meal and you get it. That's what street food is. Anyone can go get it. So that's why I'm just careful with the phrase. But that's a, just a personal opinion of mine. That's why I don't like throw around the term street food. I'm inspired by a lot of street food. In terms of street food in the UK, it's still you're talking about the burger vans because they're cheap. Like that, that mm. is what it, street food still is in yeah. the UK. Yeah. yeah, outside of football ground. Yeah, yeah. So I have a lot of good memories <laughs> of them. Like yeah. that's it. It's just street food. It should be approachable. And like the whole idea of street food, that like, anyone can go for it. Doesn't matter if you, you know, you're sitting on like a two million pound house or you're sitting on a bit of cardboard. Like you can still, you yeah. still, you can get there. Tokyo is a lot like that. 
Yeah. You go down like, it's a rude name, but Piss Alley. <laughs> Piss Alley. <laughs> and you go down, it's just these tiny little bars. And yeah. You've got someone in a fancy Armani suit. Yeah. And then just someone that's, you know, they look like a cleaner. They might not be a cleaner, but... <laughs> <laughs> but like, it's, it's that... Just guy. sat next to each other in this tiny little bar, both eating the exact same thing. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and it costs that. nothing. Yeah, that's what it sort of should all be about for me. Like, that's what street food is to me, essentially. Like, any anyone can get it. Anyone can afford it. It's accessible to everyone. But, like, it's, it's just difficult. As I said, like, it always comes down to profit. At the end of the day, it's business. Like, like I'll open a restaurant. I want to make profit. I want to make business off it. Like, it's, it's just how it is. But at the same time, I'd love to do, like, a Hawker Centre alongside it. And that's where I see, like, a bit of a balance in the universe kind of thing. That's it, man. I'll get Andy Street on the blower, UCB, trying to make it happen. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, but it's like what I said to Zoe in our last podcast. I said, like, profit shouldn't be the be-all and end-all of your business. It shouldn't be. Uh, profit should be like water for us. So we can't survive without water. Yeah. But it's not the be-all and end-all. We're not thinking about it all the time, obsessed with water. And for a business, that should be like profit. So businesses need profit to survive. It's, yeah. a, it's a horrible fact. It's just the way yeah, it that's is. It, that's it. it has to work. People but it shouldn't money, be, yeah. profit shouldn't be the be-all. Money shouldn't be the be-all and end-all. It should enable you to do whatever your real goal is. So in your case, obviously, to just do affordable, good food yeah. for everyone. <laughs> yeah, like it, it seems like it's a proper cliche, a bit dreamy. Like, but it's just... Yeah, it'd be nice if that was the ideal world, but as I said, like it'll always come down to money at the end. It'll always, always be you profit. need an investor, and the yeah. investor's going to want to know how much the returns going to yeah. be, and, and it's going to be, be a greedy landlord. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, that's it. That's yeah, like I said, you're dreaming way too big here. But like I said, this one you get the government involved, like you get them, like because it it can be done, like the system mm. can be put in place, it can be done. It just but then like. As you said, they're happy to let school children starve. So, what chance of? Yeah, this is it. Are you going to ask them like, oh, like we want to feed feed the population? Like, how do you feel about giving us some land free of rent or something yeah, like that yeah. to get it going? I'm like, no, like, they, 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 yeah. I said, I'm not going to touch on government too much. They, they just <laughs> they want money and they like money. So, man, it feels like Singapore kind of lit a fire under you. Oh, it did. Like yeah. it did. Like I said, like it's just it relates to Birmingham, like in ways like it's just so diverse, multicultural. Mm. And like every every country has their problems with X, Y, and Z, but everyone gets on here. Like it, all, it, it works. Like Birmingham's just a buzzing city, and the yeah. foods, like the, the, all these different cultures, it shows in the food and stuff like that. And the same with Singapore, like your hawker centres, it's all influenced. Yeah, like it's part of their culture, but you know, it's Malays, Indonesians, India, like they're just influences from everywhere. And like that's like that's what Birmingham is—a cultural hub, isn't it? Like it's just going off at the moment. Absolutely love it. It is, my bone was kicking at the moment, really going. Yeah, it's got some place getting to better get, and yeah, better as well. It's got it's got some wiggle room to get even better. Stuff. Oh, it's gonna keep getting better. Like, I'm just watching everywhere pop up because I said I spent so long away and I was like, I wasn't even planning staying in Birmingham, and then it came quickly apparent like Birmingham is just like it's going off. Like it's the place to be at the moment. Obviously, MasterChef and I have announced they're moving to Birmingham, so that's great. Yeah, yeah, that's good. You see, you had that release the other day, don't you? Yeah, yeah, that, yes, yeah, so that's obviously huge news. Um, well, it makes sense, people for me to keep winning it, so you might as well <laughs> just have it there, man. No, no, that dig, but it's, it's good for Birmingham as a whole, isn't it? Like they're doing it in Digbuff, like the studios mm. going in Digbuff, like it's just, yeah, like it's just Digbuff. Like, we're here now, like it's just, it's like, on the mend. Well, you've took me down a dark alley for this. <laughs> yeah, but normally it's, it's, it's on the mend. Like, like every, it's just popping up Sturchley. All the places popping up in Sturchley at the moment. Mosey Village has always been there. Like, oh, it's just go. Like, it's banging. It's really good. It's really good. It's exciting to be here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's exciting city, man. So before I interrupted you about Singapore, you mentioned uh, briefly that you worked in a supermarket during COVID. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like you went from a Michelin star restaurant in Singapore 
to a, a supermarket stacking shelves. But did you kind of feel like, you know, because you, cause you grafted hard, you had jobs like the cruise ships, you've, you've done, you've put in the graft everywhere, really. Like, you didn't feel like that was below you. You just thought, no, nah, I need a job, I'll do anything like yeah, like that's it. Like I'll never look at a job like look down or anything. Like mm. you got a bear like lockdown, um, it kicked off. It was hard. No one knew what was going on. Like I was locked at home, couldn't do anything, couldn't go out. And then I, I, I was lucky to get a job in a supermarket. It got me out. It got me out. I'd take every. Like, I was doing sixteen-hour days at Tesco. I loved it. Like just working, grafting, and until speaking to people. You know, like lockdown was hard. Like I said, I'm quite a sociable person. I like to talk. I couldn't, like, don't get me wrong, my sister's a great company, but <laughs> only so much of her voice I can take. So it's like, it got to the point where it's like, I was out the house, I was just grateful to have it. And it was, like, it was uh, I'm quite OCD, like, at times. So, like, I had this aisle, um, like, the fresh, like, so it's like milk, creams, but it's like dairy, fresh food aisle. Yeah. Like, that was perfect. Like, I just, just I'd <laughs> get every, everything off in the morning, quick as I can, like, stack all the shelves, load them up, just stand at the end of the aisle, wait for someone to take something, run down, <laughs> just re replace it, pull it forward. Like, just, just make little, like, games from stuff. And, like, the people that worked there were great. Like, obviously, we we're all going through the same thing. A few people from hospitality started at the same time as me, you know, because everything closed. It all went to, it all basically went to shit, didn't it? So I was just grateful to have it. Like it was, it was a really good experience, kept me going. It's not not just in terms of like like paying the bills, like just mentally. Like it was just I was just grateful to be there. To be honest, it, it was cool. Met some nice people there. Like my first supper club I did in uh, Litchfield. Um, the woman Annette who I worked with on uh, Fresh Foods, off, she came straight there. She was there sitting at the table. Like it was really nice. <laughs> Nice. So you still talk to a few of them? That's because it's my local Tesco. It's oh, Tesco yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Robin and Island. So like, I'm, dude, that's it. Like, I still pop up there, grab so some stuff in there. Did What did they say? Like, I can't believe you won and stuff. Like, it must be mental. Well, when I was working there, they didn't believe me I was a chef. Like, I was just sad. <laughs> like, oh, I'm a chef. They're like, what do you know? Like, oh, you really? No, no, no. And when I left, I made, them, what did, I made a cheesecake. I brought them in cheesecake when I left. But, like, they were really happy. The people I spoke to, they're buzzing. So what did you do? Did you go back? over the tunnel and say told you this was a chef I've been in like I said a couple of times since but obviously normally got mask and covered up like I, I kind of hide it away a couple of people they're recognised but yeah it just yeah, it was just a mad experience to think I was like yeah there but I said forever grateful for it I know you're very down to wear was there any part of you that thought at the beginning of the journey I could win MasterChef. I knew the whole time I was <laughs> <laughs> now nah, um, nah, like I, I remember there was one point one point i said um it was just before it started i said um I, I literally said to myself i was like i'm going on this to win this then as soon as bangers and mash came out, i was like just happy to be here just happy to be here like you know like i'll see how it goes um yeah so i never got carried away and like it's it's hard to go through it all so yeah i just tried to enjoy it the best i can it was a lot of stress but there was no point i've nope not one point i was like yeah, I can do like I've got this. I can do this. It was more about focusing on just doing the best I can on the day, which sometimes didn't work out too well. I don't think the cameras do it justice, but it's it's hard graft, isn't it? Oh yeah, really hard graft. Like you know, like it's just mentally preparing for everything. Obviously, the pressure of being there. It's a new environment, it's a new kitchen. Obviously, you're still adjusting because you got to bear in mind it's not a kitchen; it's a studio. Like so, you're adjusting around that. But like the whole team, like everyone behind them, like they're they're really good. They're supportive because obviously they've done it for years. It's, it's the same team. They know how to look after you. Like and like a lot of the, like still speak to a lot of the crew, still speak to a lot of the contestants. It's a really nice environment. Like we all kind of supported each other, but at the same time, it's just huge pressure. Like it's it's a lot to go through. It's all new. It's just trying to like if anyone's going on a show, it's like just remember what you're doing. Like you know, you yeah, enjoy yeah, to cook, yeah. you like to do it. 
stay humble. Like, don't don't be the guy that goes on and, you know. <laughs> oh, like, you oh just, cocky big balls. Yeah, don't do that. <laughs> just try and enjoy it. And as I said, like, because you can go in as cocky as you want. Like, but in reality, unless you've done it before, you don't know what that kind of pressure is like. You don't know. So you could be really good doing this and that, but it's a completely different environment. So you got to be careful with it. Like, yeah. so just try and enjoy it. Be humble. And like, it's a great opportunity. If you make it on a show, it's just a great opportunity to be involved in, to be part of. So just, yeah, make the most of it. Yeah. So you're definitely making the most of it now. So you were straight off to where was, where did you go straight after you won? Where did I go after I won? Oh, Jersey. Jersey. That's yeah. it. Yeah, I worked for a family in Jersey for the past couple of summers. Really nice family. And obviously, they didn't know. So that was quite yeah. nice because it was a complete switch off. Has your rate gone up now? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it might go up a little bit. But um, nah, so I haven't really, I'm not really doing private chefing at the moment because uh, obviously, everything else just popped up, started going like bang. Oh, I bet it's just your phone's just off the hook. Yeah. You've got to get an agent. you got to get this. And that's it. Hopefully, signing with my agent tomorrow. Like that's that's been a long one because it's just it's all new stuff like i'm trying to enjoy it i said it's a lot of admin bits like trying to juggle everything um i've had a lot of help from like a mass chef obviously give you support to like help you through this stage but obviously it's still it's new to me it's quite intense just non-stop i just want a holiday to be honest like it's just, i really just want a holiday <laughs> do you have anyone in the industry or anything you can chat to like to help you through it or like give you a bit of tips or oh that's the brilliant thing like um stew Dropped me a message as soon as I won. He was like, they meet up with so me and him, grabbed a, grabbed a coffee. Alex Webb, who uh, won last year, he gave me a phone call, like just talked me through it all. Like, uh, Glyn Purnell, like he said, anything you need, like just drop me a message. Like, this community has been so supportive, like the whole industry. So it's really nice because it's just a bit full on, but I'm still trying to wrap my head around it. Like, it's, <laughs> it's such good fun. I've had some amazing opportunities come for it, and like, I'm, I'm forever grateful, but I think. Yeah, it's just still a bit trying to get my head around it. It's intense. It's, it's weird. It's so you're doing stuff with Stu, aren't you, at Hampton Manor? Yeah. So, yeah, so me and Stu are doing a, little, uh, doing a menu together. 2nd of March, 9th of March, 11th of March. That would be good fun. Like I love that. I've, it smokes just an incredible restaurant. Yeah, it's just, I mean, it's nice. Right? Yeah, it's just brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. So I'm really looking forward to it. Like um, I like Stu's style of food like and everything. It's just a nice little thing for Birmingham as well. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. I was writing a menu up today, actually. We'll f- finalise that, so that'll be good fun. Interesting. Yeah, all this new stuff, like, it's, like Stu, Stu Dealey, like, Glyn Purnell, speaking to me and that. It's, like, it's just weird. <laughs> it's just weird for me. Like, I just can't, I still can't, yeah. Like, loads of messages. So I'm like, like, all these huge chefs I've always looked up to, just yeah, like, congratulations, yeah. this and that. It's just mad. It's like, crying not trying to get you to do something with him. Cry, I, I said to cry, I'd do something. I'd, I'd, I'd love to do something at 670 grams. I'll, I'll keep pestering him to do it, to be fair. Oh, but man, yeah. you could do like a great British menu slash MasterChef. Uh, oh, good luck trying, you could, you could look trying to pass that across them two shows. <laughs> like. yeah, yeah. I don't think it's ruining any secrets, but obviously MasterChef's filmed a little bit before it goes out on telly. Yeah. Uh, where did you watch the final? Where did you watch the final? Oh, I watched it uh Cuban Embassy. Did you with all your family? And yeah, stuff, yeah, yeah. So like, obviously, it was really difficult because um, no one knew, and I was like, I can't invite people. It's like, ah, oh, well, what do you say? It's like, oh, do you want to come to Cuban Embassy next? Was it a Thursday? Like next Thursday? Why? I just like it's like <laughs> well, it's, it's a bit of a random one. Like, um, but yeah, I got a few friends, family. I told them on uh, like uh, the day or the day before. It's like, yeah, just got a little room there, set up a projector, and watched it there. It's good fun. Yeah, it's good. But then I had to go straight to uh, Ma- uh, Manchester the next day. Oh, to do BBC Breakfast but like if you ever actually saw the interview I was sat in a hotel room uh, <laughs> literally two minutes from the studio 
because I was so ill, I couldn't do it. <laughs> so I did it on Zoom. I did it on Zoom. I was like, yeah, just like, just get, get through this like 10 minute interview. And did it. But that was, that was, yeah, it was, that was mad. That, the night of the final was crazy. I was in this taxi going to Manchester. Like my phone was just went mental. Like oh, I've never seen anything like it. So I had to turn it off. Like it was just a bit, that was a bit much, threw me off. Uh, but yeah, no, here we are. It's weird. Like I'm sat with you two now, like, obviously. Like, it's just, it's all still a bit <laughs> surreal for me. Like, <laughs> Yeah, you've reached the big leagues now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's never yeah. mind BBC and yeah. all that. Who are they? Awesome, man. Um, I feel like we've got everything kind of in and we've took a good hour of your time and you're a very Has busy man. Yeah, oh, man. It flies, doesn't it? It does, man. Flies. I said, I just ramble, mate. Like, Anything you want to plug or? What am I doing? I'm going to do something with Wine Freedom. Yeah, I love Wine Freedom. Yeah, I'm so big like, fans of speak to them like uh, in the next, uh, next week. No, this week. Yeah, this week. Fucking hell going now um something with wine freedom what else am i doing in birmingham i'm doing a t20 england india i'm basically just gonna wrap my head around it i basically i want spots to do stuff in birmingham yeah yeah based around the street food concepts so i'm happy to do hampton manor which is true obviously but it's still it's pricey like, yeah like, yeah, yeah <laughs> i found smoke very expensive for it like. yeah but like, it's good it's but brilliant it expensive. It, oh yeah it's brilliant like, but that's it like using the best quality ingredients mm, best yeah, that's how it works yeah. so like I, I just want to do like i literally want I need to get in touch with like places like just pubs. I like to like you're talking like Prince of Wales places like that. I just get I just want to shout them like look I'll come um, just jump on like I just uh, do a night just, just bang out like n- not nothing fancy. I'm talking like little bamboo trays of food like just turn yeah, it out yeah, yeah. turn it out one night. That's what I want to be doing. I said like I just I just, just trying to get in touch with people like dropping a message and then it goes oh what's the rate what's the fee and it's like, it's like no i just want to come and just turn out food like that's what i want to <laughs> yeah, do, do <laughs> yeah that's it well the wine freedom stuff would be good They've wine freedom would be good area now that's good yeah yeah now i'm looking forward We've to had it them, like, i love sam and taylor like, oh they're wicked aren't they yeah that's yeah, it so because i filmed a little um i filmed this art project i know you filmed some of it at wine freedom some of them at 670 grams like the the guy, uh, Master Yun Long, he's a feng shui artist in Singapore. He was the one funding the whole restaurant if I was going to open it there. But obviously that fell through. So he's a painter. So he sent me some paintings and I recorded them like all around Birmingham and London, basically looking at the links between like wine and paintings, food and paintings. It's quite cool. That's on YouTube now. Because your little bit on MasterChef, that was in Digbeth, wasn't it? You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Your hometown, that was Floodgate Street, wasn't it? Yeah, it was all Floodgate going down there because they were like, <laughs> We can't do that, go down the canals because Stu did the canals. Like, <laughs> I was like, so just take me to Chinatown. I was like, where else? And I was like, Digbus pretty cool at the moment. Like, yeah, we'll yeah, go Digbus yeah. and that's it. Yeah, we'll just film around there. Just feel like you leave Birmingham and was like, oh, you've got loads of canals. It never fucking crosses my mind how many canals there are in Birmingham. It's, the, it's like, if, you, if, if someone said, what's special about Birmingham? I don't think I'd even bring up canals. No. I think I'd like it would be so far down the fucking list that it would just never get a mention. Really? Yeah. I always say canals. I always big up the canals. I always big up the canals. Love it. No, look, but yeah, no, Bowen's just a banging city, isn't it? Like, it's just, yeah, it's just the way it's going at the moment. Obviously, Commonwealth Games are going to pump a load more money into it and stuff like that. It'll keep getting better. Just as long as it doesn't get too expensive is the worry. <laughs> Everyone's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Especially at the moment. I don't know if you've ever heard it. You might have, you might not have. These are quick fire questions. Again, I always say quick fire. They're never quick fire. They're never quick fire. No, um, ramble. They're super easy. You, you definitely know the answers to them. What's your favourite TV show? Game of Thrones. Are we talking like series? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just what's on the telly that you like watching. Oh, Game of Thrones, Rick and Morty. Yeah, Rick and Morty, Rick man. And I love Morty. that. So funny. 
Rick and Morty. It's deep as well, though. Rick yeah, and Morty. yeah, it's really deep. You're like, shit. Yeah, no, I'm really, yeah. Rick and Morty. What like, if you take a load of drugs and watch it, it's just like, fuck. I'm not going to tell you how I watch it, though. Like. <laughs> uh, what's your favourite movie? These are not easy questions, man. <laughs> See, this is the show I think about all the time, like yeah, all day. I to say what my... Well, you don't have to be like classically. Just yeah, that film's I'm fucking watching that definitely. I love that film. Gladiator. So I'm gladiator, gladiator Troy. I like Star is Born. That's a good emotional one. The new one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like emotional films. Something yeah. that'll make me cry. I was gonna say you cry. Yeah. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Hundred percent. Yeah, I ain't seen it, but I'd oh, yeah, that's, uh, cry, so that's cinema. It's one of them. You sit there and go, I'm all right. I'm all right. Which one? Star is born. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, I was not. I was not all right at the end of it. <laughs> man, I was watching Sing with my daughter, today, and I'm not joking. It's like the eighth time I've seen Sing. The Disney was, one. The missus walked in. I was tearing off. Man, this is one particular bit. She was like, "You crying at fucking Sing?" No. Get out. Goosebumps a few times at Sing too, you know. Yeah. Feels yeah. in them films. I'm not a massive U2 fan, however, like, but the bits with the U2 songs are good, luck. Like. Yeah. Anyway. Getting videos. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Cartoon uh, podcast. <laughs> What's your favourite band or DJ or artist? Oh, Bob Marley. I know, like, that's just show. I, I love reggae. Yeah, I love, yeah. I love, I love. Bob Marley's like the traveller's favourite art. Yeah. <laughs> just just everywhere well. you go. Everywhere you Bob Marley. <laughs> now, nah, like, that's a mixed one. Bob Marley. Because like, my favourite song changes. Like, I, like, I like a mix. A mix of music. Like, I went yeah, to see yeah, One yeah. Direction by myself. Like, that's the standing. Etihad Arena. <laughs> Do you have a favourite cookbook? No. <laughs> not a particular one, no. No, nothing stands out. You know no, what? Some no, like, there's loads of good ones. Have, some people rather lay off like a long list of cookbooks. They have this one, this one, this one. This one. Or there's people just like... No, I have a lot no, of cookbooks. I, just, I have, yeah, yeah. Yes, I love a no lot favorite. of cookbooks. I love it, but like, no, in terms of a favourite, no. Can you recommend three? Three cookbooks? Yeah. Um, oh, what's it called? It's like... It's, is it Szechuan Kitchen or something like that? It's like 16, it's about 20 quid on Amazon, like Szechuan Cuisine or something like that. It's a red book. It's just really simple. That is an amazing yes. book. Um, macarons by Pierre Chaim. Oh, what? I can't say the name in French. Obviously, a great book on macarons. Like, it just works. Ah, oh, this is difficult. Yardbird. Uh, it's like charcoal something and fire or something. Um, that's a really cool book. No, nah, that's it. That's, that's, like, that's I've got, cool. I've got loads because I'm sitting <laughs> like, Sat Bain's book's incredible. Heston's book's incredible. Um, like Corey Lee Bennu, I've been looking through that recently. There's, oh, there's like Igni, which is like an Australian one. Like, like that I can just list because I literally have piles and piles of yeah, cookbooks yeah, which yeah, I go yeah, through. Same. Ones that stand out are that Szechuan because uh, I'm currently going through it. I'm trying to learn about Szechuan cuisine and stuff like that. So I'm really into that at the moment. It's just, it's mad. Like, it's, it's mad. Yeah, like, yeah, it's cool. Really cool. See, I've got cookbooks, and the cookbooks I never intend to cook from because the stuff in them so technical, and it, it would cost me so much money to make yeah. the dish. It's cheaper just to fucking fly to the restaurant. Yeah, no, that's <laughs> and fucking eat it. A lot of them is like is, this is one is difficult about cookbooks when you go into a cookbook. Like you're looking at certain like restaurant cookbooks and stuff. You can't pull it off. Like you just can't pull it off at home. But it's nice to see how they do it. That's why I appreciate it, yeah. especially when I get into an environment where I can do these things. Like it's nice to play around with. But it's more like just the approachable cookbooks are like the ones yeah, like, you know like that's that. My favorite. Yeah, it's, it's, it's the ones you can actually cook at home. Like yeah, the ones them. that got all the doggy ears and they're covered in splatters of something yeah yeah they're the just stuck together because like, i've got cookbooks there for display 
<laughs> like they're just out on show or they're the coffee table that's it yeah, just to have like, that perfect pristine condition yeah. never going to cook anything from it but it's fascinating as fuck to read and just see the techniques and you're like shit that's it was it my dad's my dad lives off this cookbook it's called the 10 20 30 minute cookbook and you're going this must be about 30 years old now it is awful but he lives <laughs> off he lives off that cookbook uh, but if he does listen to this, his food's great. What he cooked from it. <laughs> but... Perfect. I think we might know the answer to this one. What's your favourite big fast food chain? KFC, hands yeah, down. Yeah, man, that's my one. Hands down. Uh, favourite takeaway? Thai. Thai's expensive in this country. Yeah, like, it is, like, man. Like, I get it, the ingredients, I get why, but like, so expensive. So expensive, like I was gonna say Chinese, but like, like uh, no, it's Thai. It's Thai. Yeah, Thai is my treat. Chinese flavor to it. It's just got like a next level. Flavor. Yeah, it's fresh and stuff. And like I see a lot of Chinese takeaways in this country. It's stodgy. It's greasy. It's heavy. Like, um, yeah. So like, I leave towards Thai. Yeah. Obviously, more traditional Chinese food. I don't see it as a takeaway because you can't go. You can't really just get it from the takeaway. Yeah. No, I did. oh, we didn't touch on MSG today. That's no, I'd love to go to MSG. MSG is great, and everyone should use it. And there's nothing wrong with it. Yeah. This is, I've I've kind of read a little bit about this. It was like something that was just demonised by everyone, wasn't it? Like yeah. in the thousands, it in the 2000s Like it's just got such a bad reputation. Like you, people, you, people touch on it being like xenophobic, racist. The approach because it was called like Chinese takeaway syndrome or something like that. When you you feel bloated, you feel greasy. And I was like, no. Like the reason you feel like bit crap occasionally after eating a Chinese is because that <laughs> the Chinese like dishes have been quite adapted into this is what we're talking about the western palate kind of mm. thing like it is greasy it's heavy it's not that's not how it is in like you go to Hong Kong place like that it's not it but like MSG got this bad reputation because like some doctor wrote a report in America of course America on the, in the 60s about um like how like people were getting headaches bloated after that and they just linked it to MSG MSG is completely natural it's Literally, so like obviously you, you talk about um, the five basic tastes. Like if you salt, you want something more salt, you add salt. You want sweet, you want something more sweet, you add sugar. You want something more umami, you add MSG. Mm -hmm. If you're going to down a cup of salt, you're going to be very ill. If you're going to down a cup of MSG, you'll probably be very ill. Mm -hmm. But there's like in balance, it's absolutely fine. It's completely natural. It's been like it was found like they put it together, like a Japanese scientist put it together like over 100, 100, 110 years ago. Like it's completely natural. There's nothing wrong with it. Like, this American scientist probably done some experiments, but didn't take into account like their lifestyle, whether so, they smoked, whether they drunk, like how healthy were they to begin exactly. with? Well, that's it. So when they looked back at it, they looked at all these different um, the factors, like the original research, if you will, and it was it was just it wasn't balanced. There was no no like control of the groups or anything like that. It was just someone said it, and from literally that report. It, this, it's built, it's built, it's built this reputation that MSG is bad. Like, and you see packets and places now saying no MSG, no MSG. Yeah. And it's, it shouldn't be like that. There's nothing wrong with it. It's completely natural mm. and it tastes banging. Like, absolutely, like, it's just pure umami. Like, I'm not saying use it in everything, but like, like it is. Yeah, there's nothing. Why does it come the packet? Can you just go into like a supermarket and grab it? Or? Yeah, just go into yeah. like, go into Day Inn in Birmingham, like, mm. um, one, two, third aisle along, bottom left-hand side, <laughs> clear packet. There's a big one and a small one. It's red writing, clear packet. And it just looks like uh, like crystals, like little, yeah. like big grains of sugar. Um, that's it. It's cheap and it's banging. Like you put in stock soups. And you're talking about MSG's, like it's natural occurs in different foods, like tomatoes, cheese, like that umami, the glutamates and stuff like that. They're there anyway. Yeah, like, yeah, it is yeah. natural. And your body uh, can't tell the difference between 
Uh, say if you've got it from, you ate a tomato and you've got the glutamates, the sugar and stuff from that, or if you've just like, eaten pure MSG, like th- there's no separating in the chemicals. They're exactly the same. It yeah. is completely natural. It's just got this really bad rep and it's it just shouldn't have. Like, it, it, mm. That's mainly because a lot of people that have a Chinese in this country, usually if I've had a Chinese, then I've probably had a good drink before because I'm getting takeaway, so I'm treating myself. And I'm not joking, I've probably ate probably about three people's worth of food. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I'm going to feel like shit the next day. I've had just ate, like two trays of food. Yeah, you have two plates. Like you don't normally have two plates no, of no, anything no. for dinner, do you? Like, <laughs> it when Big Watt used to be open, like you smash through plates there. It's like, <laughs> how many can you do? You come out, you're feeling bloated. It's like, oh, like oh, what was that? Roll was like, out to the Yeah, taxi. it's like, I know it was me. I just like ate <laughs> myself into a coma. <laughs> But you're not sitting there going, oh, it's that fucking MSG, man. No, you're not. <laughs> you were years ago. Yeah. I, feel, I feel like up until maybe like three or four years ago, yeah. it was being demonized. Like everyone kind of knew, it was common knowledge, oh, MSG is really bad for you. That's, nobody just, knew like, I grew up knowing, oh, I don't have that. It's got MSG in it. Oh, yeah. it's, it's too much MSG. And then these packets, like restaurants, I say, we have no MSG, no MSG. There's no need to say that. Like it's absolutely mm. fine. It's like the same. So I've got no salt in my restaurant. It tastes like shit then, doesn't it? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Sorry, I told you I'd ramble on. Mate, it's, it's, no, so it, it's how it good. rolls, to be honest. What's your favourite dish that you cook at home? Ah, lab. Like, so, it's like minced meat, pork, basil. It's the stuff I did on the MasterChef street food. I put it on a flatbread. I literally do that on rice. Yeah. Done. Yeah, so it's literally garlic, shallots, chilli, chopped up, pork mince, stir fry, fish sauce, oyster sauce, sugar, uh, cook it all off, add Thai basil at the end, put it on top of rice, done, easy. And yeah. Sounds nice. Not yeah, that unhealthy, not unhealthy or anything. No, nah, it depends on the fat content. You put mints, but like apart mm. from that, it's quite salty, but you said you have it with rice, just, yeah, banging. Quick, easy to make, mm. really easy to make. And then to cook rice, get a rice cooker. None of this messing around with pans and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Totally, the missus like, you're not getting a fucking rice cooker. Rice so cooker. I've got that many things. She's like, you want an ice cream? You're not having an ice cream machine. I'm not having a rice cooker. <laughs> Come so on, there's man. no room in any of the fucking cupboards. It's just full of stuff. Get a rice stuff. cooker. Get a rice cooker. Like honestly, it's just and like you like my auntie showed me how to cook like a soy chicken in a rice cooker as well. Yeah, yeah so you can yeah, cook you... other stuff in them. Yeah, but like honestly, rice cookers are the way forward. People are debating like how to cook rice. This that just buy a rice cooker. Yeah, it does. Every letter like, said like um, Nam, the Michelin star Thai restaurant. How did they cook their rice? Huge rice cookers. Everyone yeah, uses yeah. rice cookers. Literally Mexico. had this conversation today. <laughs> yeah. <so freaking. laughs> I'm passionate about rice cookers. <laughs> nah, I'm controversial. I don't cook rice anymore. What do you do? I get the Uncle Ben's, man. Two oh, minutes nah, on the micro. Nah, man. Nah. I'm not that fussed on rice anyway. Like, so oh, rice is my like, passion. Like, <laughs> right, <laughs> I, I do. But I'll, instead of the Uncle Ben's, there's, it's called VT. Oh, is it the yeah. white plastic? Yeah, white yeah, plastic. Their Thai jasmine rice pretty. Like, that, that's the one I'd go for. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm Nothing doing. against Uncle Ben. I don't mess with rice. I'm just like, you know yeah. what? Sometimes I cook it and it come out like rice pudding. I hate rice pudding. I'm not really overly fussed on rice anyway. I prefer whatever's on top of it. So I'm just really, like... Oh, you see, I live off rice. Like, mm. I, like, I have a rice cooker going just throughout the day. I'm just... Good, good. Right, <laughs> rice and sweet corn is my big thing. Love yeah, rice and that. sweet corn. Rice and vegetables, full stuff. Like rice and peas. Rice yeah. and... Yeah, everything like that's quite nice, actually. Yeah, so you've convinced me now. I'm gonna have to get the rice cooker. Get the rice cooker. Get the rice. <laughs> so I get through a lot of rice as well. Siobhan's gonna kill both of you. I know. <laughs> She's gonna I've got like eat. six rice cookers, mate. <laughs> <laughs> it's worth it. Uh, we might know the answer to this one as well. What's your best food destination in the world? <laughs> I want to say Thailand. I've got a feeling when I eventually make it to Japan, it could be Japan. Like yeah. Singapore's like 
Singapore's the more the food culture, how it's intertwined. Thailand's the more like going into the unknown, walking down like these alleys and just seeing these bright lights, smells, everything, like just eating everything. That's what Thailand is to me, just like like new, constantly new. I'm going to say Thailand. Nice. Yeah. You might have had some other question. What food destination do you want to go to that you haven't been to yet? Japan. Yeah. Like Japan. Like I've worked with a couple of Japanese chefs and like the way they look at food like is just a completely different. Like it's that, again, talking about a cultural thing. Like it's just incredible how the Japanese look at food, how they treat food, how it works. And like a lot of people say like, it's just that I said it's like stereotypes, like your know, French cuisines, like the classics, the best, like the, that's a nice Japanese, Japanese walk all over it. Like mm. the, the, the way they look at food, the culture of food, how it's treated, how it's cared for. Like I think they, they've always been miles ahead of everyone else. Yeah, I've been there and I, they're, what they would class as their shit food. It's fucking better than most of the stuff you get, yeah, <laughs> to be it's, honest. It's mad. Like, I need to get out there. So, like, I've, all I've done is I've worked with Japanese chefs. They've come over for like a four hands dinner, crossover dinners. No, I, I need to get. I need to get to Japan. Different, completely different. Yeah, that's it. Because fermentation, everything. It's always been going on in Japan. Like we're seeing it as if it's a new thing. Like certainly for me, like I wasn't really looking to ferment stuff like that before. Nordic countries obviously do it a lot. But like they've always been doing it. Like soy sauce, that's just form- fermentation through and through. Mm. If we had longer, I'd talk to you about soy sauce for about half an hour. Like, <laughs> mad soy sauce. I like my soy sauce knowledge. Awesome. That was, that's it. That's we're done. Dan, mm-hmm. massive congratulations for winning Master Chef. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been, I feel like we could do like an hour on soy sauce, an hour on MSG. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe there's a part two in the future. Maybe. We'll yeah. see. Cheers, but, um, man. Honestly. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it's good crack. Sorry, I, I ramble on a lot. Like, this is what I do. Oh, I just man, start man. going. It's great that you ramble. If you didn't, that'd be the worst yeah. guest ever. <laughs> People always apologise for talking too much, and we're like, no, seriously. If it's you just podcast. came and didn't talk, that would be the worst <laughs> thing. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it's a good it's like, yeah, no, yeah, I did that. No, you haven't had anyone <laughs> like that, work, man. We have. I'll tell you when we switch the mic. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Thank you, Dan. Yeah, cheers.